Hi, this is Vicki Lawrence, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Howard Storm will join us in our second hour. Howard Storm, the man who directed Robin Williams during the first three seasons of Mork and Mindy. Howard began his showbiz career as a teenager performing in nightclubs in New York City. In the early 1950s, he went on to study acting at the Desilu Playhouse and worked steadily in movies and on television throughout the 1960s before becoming one of the most sought-after directors in television for the next three decades, including many of the shows produced by MTM Productions, many of the shows produced by Gary Marshall, and as mentioned, nearly 60 episodes of Mork and Mindy. Howard Storm will join us in our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Skype for another edition of this week in TV history. Tony's segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble. For more information, storysalon.com, facebook.com forward slash storysalon. We had a recent passing that I'm not surprised affected everybody. Anyone who's a fan of the Carol Burnett Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we lost Lyle Wagner on St. Patrick's Day. And um, <laughs> I, I, I hadn't made that connection, but you're right. Well, you know, here's the thing. it's I'm not a big celebrator of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, for some reason, I was wearing green that day, totally accidental. But while we were watching the news and um, seeing what was going on and checking on people through social media, that popped up. And I hadn't even heard that, you know, that he was not uh, feeling okay. Uh, our, again, I'll bring up uh, our colleague Dan Farron. He loves to go to the different autograph shows. And uh, Lyle Wagner was scheduled to uh, make an appearance. Well, I can speak to some of that. About two years ago, CBS did the 50th anniversary taping of The Carol Burnett Show. Yeah. And Lyle was on stage for that. And as I recall, he either had knee surgery or hip surgery. So he wasn't quite Walter Brennan, but he was moving a little slower than expected. But beyond that, he looked great. He was still trim, still dazzling as ever. And his hair was gray and closely cropped. But uh, he looked good, and he sounded good. For old time's sake, he even did a takeaway. You know, he, he took him out of the break, as, as he used to do when yeah. the original show was in production. So, uh, I think people were not aware that while he was on the show, he was the announcer. Yeah. And yeah, he was later replaced by Ernie Anderson, who, you know, I think a lot of people recognize the voice from... Uh, the Love Boat. Yeah, The Love Boat, yeah. Uh, and he was he used to work with Tim Conway prior. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was, yeah, he was the announcer. You know, he did a lot of the sketches. The funniest thing, uh, but my favorite sketch of all the Carol Burnett show, strangely enough, does not feature Carol Burnett. It features Lyle Wagner, Tim Conway, and Harvey Corman. And it is uh, where Tim Conway is like the toughest interrogation officer in all of Germany. And it's one of those rare times, I think, that Tim Conway was able to prank Lyle Wagner as opposed to Harvey Corman. <laughs> because I am sure I've never heard the story, you know, uh, I, he's referenced the hit, you know, Lyle Wagner referenced it as the Hitler sketch. 
because Tim Conway pulls out a Hitler puppet, and I'm sure that was not in the rehearsal, because that was his bit with Harvey Korman. He, they would rehearse one thing, but then when it came time to roll, Tim Conway would always work it out with a crew to do other shtick. The first taping, he would do it by the page. The second taping, he would go loose. And nine times out of ten, they would include stuff from the second taping when he went off page. Because they would rig things. And the crew was aware of it. Yeah. But they would physically rig things. Like there was one when they did their soap opera spoof where he actually goes into a painting. That was not in the rehearsal. Uh, but like the Hitler puppet, I am sure, you know, when Lyle Wagner sees he's seeing it for the first time. <laughs> and then to do like little bits like, you know, pulling a pencil out of Conway's pocket and just say, he's going to hit you with that club. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can see he's composing it. And then he's singing, well, why don't you sing him a song? And he starts singing, uh, I've been working on the railroad. And that song has like, what, five verses? And he sings all five <laughs> verses. <laughs> you know, I mean, ending with Fifi Fiddly I.O. Um, remember, because he does that, you know, Dinah Won't You Blow, and, and then, uh, no, no, he actually did, uh, so, yeah, after that, yeah, Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah, yeah, and then Fifi and he keeps going, and he keeps going, and you know, this was not in the rehearsal, and Lionel Wagner, the professional, like, he tried to stay composed. Tried. He tried. Now <laughs> I say he 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 did it much better than Harvey Corman yeah. would. I mean, because Harvey Corman would just break up laughing out loud and 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 lose it. But he held it together, you know. And then they finished the sketch. But uh, I'm wondering if Harvey Corman was at least in, on in the loop for some of that because I think if he had. He would have lost it. He's off camera for the Hitler puppet bit. But just all the little gags and all that was just hysterical. Yeah. And Lyle Wagner, it was nice. You know, you had this wonderful ensemble and this leading man, this leading man, good looks. That just was funny, genuinely funny. He was the eye candy, I think. But uh, very uh, talented and very funny. Yeah. Very talented, very funny. Yeah. But, you know, you would have... You know, so often you would have, you know, the lead comic was a guy and there was always a pretty girl. Yeah. With Carol, yeah. it was reversed. Uh, also, one of the funny bits, and I was, I, I found some of this on YouTube. There were often people in the audience when they would do the, you know, the, the opening, when they would bump up the lights and mm -hmm. take questions, mm -hmm. there'd be a young girl who just wanted to get a kiss from Lyle Wagner. They weren't always young. <laughs> they weren't always young. And so that would happen, you know, every every other, every third episode or something like that. You know, they wanted to get a kid. And, of course, they would bring out Lyle Wagner. Now, they would always have, you know, when they would do the opening bit like that, if they would bring out any of the uh, male cast members, they were always in tuxedos. It was a different time. It was a different time. Uh, one time, Lyle Wagner came out on a unicycle because he could ride a unicycle just to do a, a bit like that with the audience question. But Lyle Wagner, for several weeks, was waiting for the opportunity, and he kept a table, chair, tablecloth, and bottle of champagne on ice backstage. So the next time somebody said, can I get a kiss from Lyle Wagner, he came out, and he said, wait a second. He went backstage, brought in a table, brought in the chairs, laid out the tablecloth, and prepared the champagne on ice. And then when that woman asked the question, you know, he, he escorted the woman up, had her sit down, and then poured her a glass of champagne and set the tone and then gave her a kiss and she went back into the audience. He, 
Carol was completely oblivious to the fact that he had been planning this the next time somebody asked the question. I think they played that clip on the night of the 50th anniversary taping. I think they did. That was always one that got good play on the anniversary show. There was also another mention that he set up a card table and chairs and um, was answering letters uh, right outside the writer's room. And he also had a a, a pamphlet that he, he sold for a dollar just... Uh, on how to get the part when you're auditioning. And uh, so he, he was making money that way. Uh, people would send him a dollar, and he would send him a pamphlet. And so he was very entrepreneurial. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Skype, as we remember Lyle Wagner of The Carol Burnett Show and Wonder Woman. Lyle Wagner passed away this past Tuesday, March 17th, at the age of 84. Now... Speaking of that, I don't want to skip over Wonder Woman. Well, no, we'll, we'll get to that, but we're, we're on the same page. Tony is referring to the fact that Lyle Wagner also started a company called Star Wagons. Star Wagons is a company that has provided trailers to movie and production companies for more than 40 years. We'll talk about Star Wagons in particular later on in this segment. Yeah, yeah but he, he did leave the Carol Burnett show to do Wonder Woman. He did both incarnations. How many seasons total? He did the 90-minute pilot, and then he did all of the World War II episodes, and he did all of the second-year episodes. I think by the third year, they started to phase him out. So yeah, he, he was, Steve Trevor was... Um, yeah, slowly fading away. Um, I mean, he went he, he went from being her, her partner on the field in the CBS episodes to the administrator who gave her her assignments, and then he just sort of disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So about three and a half years yeah. with the date. The first was November 75, the final episode, September 11th, 1979. Yeah. Okay, so it was under five years. I remember Linda Carter saying in an interview that after five years, she was done. Yeah, so she was rounding up. Well, um, it may have seemed like five years for her. <laughs> yes, it may have. <laughs> Although I don't think so. From all accounts, she and Lyle were, enjoyed working with each other. And as if I remember correctly... <laughs> He was, in many ways, a mentor to her because he was a good 15 years older than her, as I recall. And being more experienced in episodic television, she learned a lot from him in terms of how to comport herself, which she carried on as the lead of the show. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. I always loved the World War II episodes. They were a lot of fun, and they were beautifully shot. They're yeah. beautifully shot, the, the costuming, the settings. And they were comic booky, but not too campy. And yeah, they kind of preserved their comic book origins. Yeah. You know, the way that they would have like the little boxes in the corner. Yeah. And uh, it was a different method because, you know, Batman would always have a narrator. Yeah. And Wonder Woman just used kind of the comic book little boxes, you know, in the screen to establish you know, where and when they are. Yeah, and they they did not have the superimposed fight words that Batman oh, had. Yeah, yeah. But, but they had a good amount of that. They had a good amount of action. Well, they, they had a good amount of action on the CBS ones as well. But going back to Lyle having prototypical leading man looks, he was given a lot more to do 
in the World War II episodes, even within the confines of playing Steve Trevor, because, you know, Steve Trevor would have at least one fight scene and Lyle would yes. be able to throw a couple of punches before he inevitably got conked on the head and had Wonder Woman rescue him because that was it was it was called Wonder Woman. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think they kept a, a really good balance of that, which I think it's also important. Yeah. You know, you know, but Wonder Woman, the character did actually emerge, you know, during World War II. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think uh, especially the people of, you know, when it, I'm, I'm referring to it as DC and it, it, the structure and the companies were different at that yeah. time. But, you know, I'll just generically use DC uh, and, and Marvel. I think that they really needed to kind of maintain a certain boundary because it, they were also trying not to upstage what our soldiers were doing. Yeah. So especially uh, with the character of Superman, there was a reason why Clark Kent did not get drafted because they did not want that to upstage what our, our, our boys uh, in uniform were doing at the time. Then can I ask about Captain America? Yeah, Captain America, I think, was different. Yeah, okay. Captain America was different. I think Wonder Woman was different in that sense. Captain America was supposed to be a super soldier. He was specifically sent over to fight. But, uh, yeah, Superman, they did not want to go over there. So, yeah, Clark Kent basically was 4F. Cheated the eye exam, so he would not. But if you look at, like, the Max Fleischer cartoons, um, yeah, Superman, there were some dark ones where Superman's in the Pacific sinking ships. Uh, yeah, they were very, very heavy. But I think it was important because, yeah, you want to show Steve Trevor as this American war hero from the First World War. He is uh, now fighting. He does need to be able to throw a few punches at the Nazis. Yeah. You, you need to show that uh, a little bit. He was perfectly cast as Steve Trevor. I thought that was a masterstroke. And he and Linda Carter played very well off of each other. Yeah, they, they, they're such a nice—and and also um, Richard Eastman— Yes. And uh, uh, Beatrice Colin. Uh, as Edda. her name right? Yeah. As Edda as uh, Candy. Yeah, as Edda Candy. Yeah, so you had, yeah, those two characters were eliminated, you know, General Blank, Blankenship and, and Edda, uh, when, they, when they went modern day. Uh, but those two were so, I think, essential in so many of the storylines. Yeah, I, I believe Edda was from the comic books. Yeah. The the general may have been as well. I, if I remember correctly, your friend John Randolph played the general in the pilot. I think you are correct. Yes. That, you know, that was his bread and butter. Yeah. That type of role. But also, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're playing these characters that are stationed stateside mm -hmm. and they are, they are on the, you know, participating uh, in the war effort, which I think also, you know, needs to be recognized you know, it wasn't just the people that were in the battle zone. You know, there were people that were fighting the, the war effort on the home front. Mm -hmm. And I think they, they, they represented that very well. And that was also the time when they introduced Deborah Winger as uh, Wonder Girl. Remember, she is. Yeah. And introducing Deborah Winger as Drusilla. Yeah. Or, yeah. Wonder Girl. yeah. And there was a great episode where they and I, I always love, you know, seeing Hollywood in period pieces. There was an episode where they go to Hollywood. Mm hmm there were nazis in hollywood and uh yeah they there were nazis embedded at warner brothers studio during the time period i think robert so. hayes was in that episode yes he was and um just before he got cast in angie angie and then later airplane yes and it, yes yes 
And uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, in that episode, Lyle Wagner has some great moments. I mean, really good because you have you have now this war hero that is being sent to Hollywood to be in a war film, which uh, you know that that sort of thing was happening. That's how Audie Murphy's career got started. Yep. Eli Wagner, a lot taller than Audie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, somebody also mentioned in one of uh, one of the uh, obits. Yeah, he wore the uniform well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he actually was. Uh, he he actually did serve in the army. He was stationed in uh, in Germany mm-hmm. uh, in the 1950s. Yeah, he did wear that. I think his character, you know, conveyed the patriotism of the time. He got to play the war hero uh, from the first war. The person who was uh, still fighting the fight for the United States of America. And there was a good balance that whatever General Blankenship and and, and Steve Trevor, and uh, it's amazing how we're really dissecting this, and Eric, their contributions you know, were not going to be upstaged by Wonder Woman at the same time. Yeah. I think they took certain elements of that 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 very, very seriously. Going back so, to Lyle being able to handle the action elements of the show, lest we forget, before he joined the cast of the Carol Burnett show, he almost was Batman. He was almost Batman. Yeah. I didn't know that. You did not know that. You should read my blog more often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In fact, that's what our friend Dan Farron, when he was going to the Hollywood Collector's show, yeah. uh, they were going to have a screen test reunion of Lyle Wagner and, I hope I pronounce this right, Peter Diewell? I think that's or, I think that's how you pronounce the name, yeah. Yeah, they were, and you can find this on YouTube, there is a screen test uh, of them as Batman and Robin. And Donna, he wears the Batman suit well. Yeah. Oh, I need uh, to find this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm bringing up a photo for Don. Uh, the suit that he's wearing looks like it was an early Bob Kane rendition of the it, suit. It was a traditional costume from the 50s era. Yeah, because uh, it's not the um, the bat uh, logo is not the yellow one that uh, Adam West wore. Yeah, although if I remember correctly, Adam West did a screen test also wearing the more traditional 1950s bat suit as yeah. well. It looks like somebody grabbed something from one of the Republic cereals and yeah. said, yeah, you put this on. Yeah. Uh, and I think he did a, a really good job in the screen test, you know, as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, a very believable, you know, he he he, he could have pulled it off. I mean, Adam West is always going to be in our memories uh, as, you know, from that time period. The, the screen test is on YouTube. You can find it. Yeah. But, and uh, you can see, yeah, he, he really did have the chops to do that. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Skype as we remember Lyle Wagner of The Carol Burnett Show and Wonder Woman. We'll talk some more with Tony and Donna after this quick time out. Guarantee. Be confidential. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your 
driver's and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-649-0142. That's 800-649-0142. Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon Gemstones of Narrative, something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com. Accredited by Guinness World Records, welcome to Archival Television Audio, Incorporated. A peerless TV soundtrack archive, preserving the audio from television's first three decades, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the golden and silver age of television. For more information, Go to ATVAudio.com. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today, even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare call and see if we can help you at the timeshare exit hotline we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare 800-715-6093 that's 800-715-6093. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.